What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. I'm so happy to bring you this episode where I speak to the ever-inspiring Tanya Godin, a woman who has spent her entire career focused on the interaction between people and technology. As someone who has spent her life almost entirely on screen, Tanya was one of the first to notice the impact of a screen-based lifestyle on focus and concentration, productivity, creativity, stress and sleep. For over 20 years, she was the founder and owner of one of the UK's first digital marketing agencies and is now a digital consultant to brands and schools, founder of the digital detox movement, Time to Log Off, and author of two books, Off and Stop Staring at Your Screen, dedicated to helping people and families achieve a digital balance in their lives. As someone who is very passionate about reducing screen time and encouraging offline activities, I just loved speaking with Tanya, who now specializes in internet addiction and screen time in children, speaking regularly to educate children and parents. Tanya also has a wonderful podcast called It's Complicated, Untangling the Relationship with Our Phone. Somewhat of a digital pioneer, Tanya was optimizing for search engines three years before Google launched and marketing through social media two years before Facebook was even a global platform. In this wonderful episode, she shares her learnings and wisdom on the importance of digital balance in our ever-changing and increasingly tech-focused lives. Keep listening to discover tips for managing your digital screen time, how to consider what you may have given up in your life in order to create time for your screens. I think this is a really important one. Common effects of too much screen time on our physical and mental well-being. How our screen time can affect our relationships. The positive things that can come from putting your phone away. What a healthy amount of screen time looks like for everyone. Simple tips for managing time spent on your devices and emails at work. The importance of mindfulness in helping us to create balance in our tech-driven world. The wonderful power of gratitude. And so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So let's get right into it. 
Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me today on our Dream Life podcast. It's a pleasure. I am so excited to be speaking with you because you have so much knowledge in an area that all affects us every day. And I know our listeners are going to be so inspired to hear from you. But before we do dive into your story, I'd like to start by getting you to think back on your childhood. And because I'm all about dreaming, I want you to think back. Did you have any dreams as a child, something you wanted to either become or do? Yeah, I mean, I, I had so many dreams, I think. I think I wanted to be Britain's first female prime minister. <laughs> Great. And I remember thinking when Margaret Thatcher became, oh, dear. That's done. That's gone. <laughs> I think I just always wanted to do something that no one else had done before. I think there were, so there were lots of things I thought about doing. I thought I might be a journalist. I definitely always thought I was going to set up a business of some sort because I was really entrepreneurial. But yeah. it was always, I wanted to be the first to do something. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. So you are an award-winning digital entrepreneur, tech author, and someone who has spent an entire career focused on the interaction between people and technology. So for over 20 years, you were the founder and owner of one of the UK's first digital marketing agencies, and you're now a digital consultant to brands and schools. Founder of the Digital Detox Movement, Time to Log Off, which I love, and author of two books, Off and Stop Staring at Your Screen. And I have both at home and the office, and it's always a fascinating conversation. I would love to know when it was that you decided to make the shift and dedicate your work of helping people and families achieve a more digital balance in their life. Well, there were a number of kind of triggers. One was a complete meltdown I had in the Apple store when my phone glass cracked. And the guy behind the counter told me that he was going to have to keep it overnight. And I just literally had a meltdown. I, I couldn't, you know, this, I had, what was this, five or six years ago. I couldn't bear the thought of being without my phone, even overnight. And that was a bit of a, a wake-up moment. Yes. And the other was, I read English at university, so I've always been a you know, big reader. And somebody asked me over dinner what book I was reading. And I realized I hadn't read a book for two years. I'd been picking up lots of books and starting them and not finishing them. Mm. And I was pretty sure that that was connected with the fact that more and more of my time was spent on screens. So I kind of went off on a bit of a journey to investigate what we knew about what screen overuse, I'm really keen to say overuse, not use, and what it might be doing to us and our lifestyles and our kind of world. And that's where the whole, you know, time to log off started really. So at one stage I was kind of doing it as a, a passion project while I was still running my digital business. But the more I got into it, the more I thought, actually, this is what I really want to do. Yeah. And I think it's so needed. So this, I love having you here because obviously um, me being a um, you know, paper lover's person, but also you know, I am, like everyone else, definitely um, addicted to my <laughs> devices. I think we all are in, you know, in, yeah. in some form or others and, and something I'm very conscious of. And there's so much I want to talk to you about and ask you about. But for anyone listening, assuming that most people are addicted to their phones, what are your tips to kind of really start thinking about shifting that? I think you have to start with working out what it is that you've given up in order to spend all that time mm-hmm. on a screen. So we now spend eight hours a day on screens. And a recent piece of research said that's a week a year on Facebook and a week a year on Instagram. So that's all been quite quick. 
you know, the IFO was only launched in 2007. So what were we doing with all our time before? So what have we stopped doing? And that's what I ask people to think about. You know, it could be spending time with friends. It could be, you know, working. It could be spending time with our family, keeping fit, being creative. You know, there's there's going to be things that we've given up. Yeah. And when we can work out what it is that we're no longer doing, that becomes the motivation then for fixing it, I think. And one of the key things for me is to put your device back into the role that it was designed for. It was designed to be a tool. It was designed to be a tool that made us more efficient, more productive, connected us, took away the drudgery of so much that we had to do manually. And it still does do that. But now, instead of being our servant, we've become its slave. Yeah. So it's kind of putting it back in the place where it's designed to be. You yeah. know, How do you use it as a tool? And for everyone, that's going to be different. But dealing with notifications is a big, mm. is a big issue. Yeah. Because if that device, that, you know, these devices are designed to keep us on screen because yeah. that's the business model. So the device is going to chirp and buzz and send us a little notification and serve a banner to get us going back and check it. So yeah. if we can find a way of managing that, that's going to be a huge help. And the other thing is just to put it away where you can't see it, yeah. feel it or hear it. Because it, you know, it has more power over us when it's right in front of us. Yeah, it's like not trying to drink a glass of wine when it's right in front of you, or yeah. not trying to eat a bar, bar of chocolate. And those are really quite simple things to do, but most people never get to the stage of doing them, even though they might be really frustrated about the time they spent on screens because the fear of doing it it seems to be overwhelming. Yeah. For lots of people, the fear of disconnecting. What, what's going to happen? What if someone can't get hold of me? Yeah. What if some huge world event happens? And I don't know about it. Yeah. So dealing with all of that and working out how to get around that is also quite a big issue. Yeah. There's a couple of things. One thing actually, I don't. I actually don't watch the news, and a lot of people are very concerned that I don't understand what's going around the world. And I always say the the stuff that really matters. And yeah, you'll find really out about it won't you? all the time. Yes, and if you're on social yeah. media, you get it. I you agree. Know, yeah. Very quickly. And uh, and also my partner, he always says, hey, this just happened. He knows that I don't yeah. <laughs> And he always say, you need to know this. So obviously we had all those things. But it's an interesting one because I, I think that uh, we as humans forget that we are in charge of our own time mm-hmm. and that all of a sudden just because the news are available 24-7 doesn't mean that you, you actually don't have, have to watch it. No. Yeah. yeah. And I think there are people that haven't dealt with that actually you know whenever there's some kind of breaking story they're watching it they're checking it and and actually there is quite a bit of evidence that that kind of negative news cycle really brings us down and makes us feel depressed and anxious because the news let's face it it's pretty much always bad news isn't it yeah it's not good news (laughs) so there's always a disaster a political crisis you know something going horribly wrong in the world and, you know, most of us are empathetic. Yeah. And therefore, if we see those things all the time, that's going to have an impact. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I, I don't actively seek it out, but I always know what's going on. Yeah. You know, it's impossible to be ill-informed, yeah. isn't it? But, and also, I think, um, you know, just because I don't watch the news doesn't mean that I don't have interest in certain things. You yeah. know, I, I read about certain things, but it's I'm choosing to go into that specific subject versus hearing about every every bad news story that I kind of know it's happening, but it's I don't need to have it fed to me every yeah. 24-7. So, yeah, that's interesting. And the, the other one um, uh, that I'd love to discuss with you, because when I did, I do uh, like a juice detox twice a year. It's just something that I do. And I, I, I do it because I love healthy living, but also it just gets me thinking about, because we use food as 
emotional triggers, like, mm. you know, similar to technology. Mm. And I'm eating really healthy and stuff, but I always find it fascinating when I do these Tuesday talks. I, instead of, because you often, you know, for me, when I work, I'm like, when I, especially when I wrote the book, I was like, before I write the book, I'm just going to get my cup of tea. I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat some. It just, you know, there's so many procrastination kind of part of, you know, the eating part. And so when I did the digital, uh, no, the, the juice detox, I all of a sudden went to the phone. So there's, I think it's an interesting one to kind of think about there's the brains seek, what do you call it? Distractions. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, I guess you've kind of answered that with no having notification. I don't have any notification. I don't understand how people actually have time to actually have that. And I, I sometimes think, I wonder if our people in our office have all these notifications because you would never get any jobs done. If, well, actually, there's a really interesting um, blog that someone in the Bank of England did last year where he did a graph of iPhone adoption against the economy and it was sort of basically showed as we were using phones more productivity was going down so I agree when I stand next to someone that has all their notifications still enabled which will happen to me on the tube or kind of I think how can you deal with that yeah it's non-stop yeah but you know it's all all these devices are designed to maximize on all, all our human instincts so you're right we're designed to be alert you know, if you think back to when we were kind of cavemen and hunters, we're, we're always scanning the horizon thinking what's going to happen. Yeah. So anything that pisses, you know, bings or buzzes on our phones, we're going to quickly check it and find out. And the other thing the digital world does is social approval. We're all looking for social approval. Mm. That's a big, you know, we're, we're evolved to be part of a tribe and we give feedback to each other all the time. If I was to write, give you an envelope, a sealed envelope, and place it on the table and say someone's written something about you in that envelope. You'd want to open it. Yeah. And social media is the same. You know, it's very human instinct to think somebody might have posted something about me or written something about me. So it's not about us being weak-willed or lazy. It's about the fact that those devices were engineered to take all the bits that make us human and kind of, you know, maximise on all of those and actually the analogy with food is really good you know the junk food the reason a lot of us have you know put on weight and obesity is the big issue is because suddenly we're surrounded by all this high fat high sugar food and as a species we're involved evolved to eat that when we find it to store up all the weight and you know all the fat until the lean times but there are no lean times anymore so we're having to learn how to deal with that kind of food, yeah. and we're going to learn how to do have to learn how to deal with the digital world in the same way. Yeah. So, based on that, can you share with our listeners some of the most common effects seen in people exposed to too much screen time? Oh yes. Well, I, I could, and your podcast is only going to be about an hour long, so I could I could talk for much longer. <laughs> but very briefly, we've got physical effects, and then we've got mental health effects. So. Physical productivity, there's lots of evidence that our smartphones are so distracting that they're having an impact on our IQ and our ability to really focus. So Harvard University did a piece of research that showed that if your smartphone is visible to you, even if it's face down and switched off, it reduces your IQ by about 10 points. So if we're trying to do something that's a bit challenging and difficult, you know, the the distraction power Mm. of it is so huge that it makes us less intelligent. Sleep is a really big issue, Yeah, huge issue. On the way here, 
the Uber driver, I told he asked me what I was going to do, and I told him, and he said, I don't get any sleep anymore because I'm uh, all night I'm sc- scrolling on Facebook. So I said, everyone tells me that. Everyone talks about sleep. And I think there's lots of evidence that we're really sleep deprived because yeah. we're so stimulated all the time. Yeah. Uh, and mental health, there's a lot of links between or relationship between depression and anxiety and excessive use of social media. So very high smartphone checkers tend to be very anxious. And yeah. we don't know yet whether very anxious people check their smartphones a lot or whether checking your smartphone a lot makes you very anxious. But there's definitely a relationship. And depression in terms of, you know, kind of scrolling through these, you know, perfect lives and these perfect bodies and these, you know, wonderful things that are un- unattainable. Yeah. Um, so I think... I haven't even touched on relationships as well because it, you know, affects our relationships. Yeah, I know you. You probably be in the situation where you've been talking to somebody, and they've picked their phone up and it just said, me so much. and just said, "Oh no, no, carry on, carry on talking. I'm just going to check it." And and you immediately think, oh, "I'm just really, am I really boring? <laughs> What's on that phone that's yeah. more exciting?" And pe- we're doing it to our partners, we're doing it to our children, we're doing it to people we meet. So. It would be really difficult, in answer to your question, to come up with just one or two things yeah, no. that the devices, they're affecting everything. Yeah, It's a completely new communication medium. We've only had it for about 12 years. And not surprisingly, it's affected everything. And yeah. we're having to kind of rethink, is this how we want to live? Yeah. And, you know, that's my mission, really, at the moment, to kind of say to people, how do we how we how do we keep the good stuff and, and throw away the bad? Yeah. Because there there has been quite a lot of bad that's sort of seeped in over the years. Yeah. 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 I think um I mean I'm always say this, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm definitely addicted to Instagram, but and some some other ones, you know, sometimes when you chat to someone and you just think I could have sold this like in <laughs> in you know, or or debate or whatever it is. Yeah. But you know, sometimes it's for fun as well, of course. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting one. And you know, it's funny, I went for a walk this morning uh early and when I was walking back there was someone walking straight into me. On their phone. On their phone. Yes. And I was like, this yeah. is very fitting considering we're going to talk a lot about yeah. phones today. So what I love about your teaching is that it's all about creating a balance rather than log, log off entirely because that's obviously not realistic. So with that in mind, can you tell us what a healthy amount of screen time looks like? So this is a really interesting question, and this is what everybody asks. And there have been a few bits of research that have come out, but I think the healthy amount of screen time is the healthy amount of screen time for you. Yeah. So it depends on the impact on the rest of your life. So again, if you use the food analogy, if we suddenly noticed that we were overweight, we might think we're probably not eating the right thing. the right things yeah. or not exercising enough. Or eating so, too much. Yeah, or, or just eating too much. So if if you kind of thought, I'm not sleeping, my relationships are suffering, I'm not focusing and concentrating, probably for you, looking at how much time you're spending on screen time would be a useful thing to do. So I suggest that everybody looks at Apple have now introduced this new screen time app with the latest or the iOS before. There's lots of apps now that you can have that yeah. monitor your screen time. Every time anyone looks at it for the first time, they are horrified by yeah. the amount of, without exception, when I get people to pick their phones up, they say, I can't have spent three hours on Instagram. Yeah. And then think about how they're feeling. So, and again, it's something I talk to children about that, you know, as they grow up, they've got to learn 
that feeling of when they've eaten too much or when they've eaten the wrong thing. And they're probably getting to be pretty good at that when they get to kind of pre-teens and teens that, you know, they know that full feeling and they know I'm, you know, I'm just about to be sick because I've eaten too much cake. Yeah. And they've got to learn how to do that with digital and we have as adults. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would say that the healthy amount is the amount where you're able to do everything you want to in your life that makes you healthy and happy and contented mm. um, with that amount of screen time. And if you can do all of that with eight hours screen time a day, well done. I can't. I can't personally do that. You know, for for me, I would say probably my maximum is, you know, I try not to go over about three hours probably on everything. Yeah. Um, And that can be tricky. And I have days when I do more and I have days to do Because I have whole days where I don't use it at all. I try not to use it at the weekends. I have kind of weeks when I go off and don't use it. We've got one bit of research in the UK from Oxford University that suggested four hours for 15-year-olds, but that was over TVs, game consoles, phones, PCs, all types of screen devices. Yeah. And it looked at the fact that kind of mental well-being started to go down when they reached four hours across all those devices. Mm. It's actually really easy to get to four hours. Yeah. When you think about TV, games, phone, and these are kids in school and they're using computers yeah. in school. Yeah, um, but that's the only piece of research we've got for adults. I think we just got to look at you know how we feel and whether we're getting everything done. When I started on my digital detox journey, I felt I'd stopped being creative. Yeah, I felt I, I've always thought I was a real ideas person, and I, I just found I'd run out of ideas. Yeah, and I thought maybe it's just my age. Maybe you just get to a certain age and you don't have any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of use them all up. Yeah, and then I realised this just because if. You know, creativity flourishes, you've said this before, in a white space, in a blank space, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You know, we look at a blank piece of paper, we look at a white wall, and we kind of need that lack of anything else to let our minds wander. So for me, when I switched off, I did a three-month digital detox, and I came up with the idea for my business. Time yeah. to log off. That's yeah. what happened in that time, because I finally let myself, you know, stop being filled every minute of the day with yeah. distractions and 24-7 news and social media. Uh, and my mind was able to wander. Yeah. So I'm sure there are people listening. You know, it comes back to your whole kind of mission, dreaming. Yeah. In order to dream, you've got to let your mind wander. Have yeah. to visualise and, you know, kind of be able to create that image. And we need a bit of space to do that. Yeah. And it's interesting because... Um, it actually started a few years ago where, because I read so much and I love reading, uh, I constantly heard that people said, I don't have time to read. Mm. And then so we did like mini books. From, we contacted a few authors and I got them to do like their top 10 tips. And, and then I realized it's, um, it's, it's not that they don't have time. They're just choosing other things. And, yeah, you know, technology yeah. is definitely a long one. And I saw a speaker a few years ago and he encouraged us to go away with the, without the phone for three days, a notebook and a pen, and it's very suitable because that's what I love. But And I wasn't actually so worried about the phone, but I was more worried about not reading because, you know, that's stimula- stimulation yeah. all the time. So I went away, and this was when I was – I just came home from London and I was supposed to present something today, uh, the week after – and I just said to Paul, I just don't have anything ex- like I have a few things, but it's nothing. I just really need to think, and I just don't have time. And then you know, when we're living in Sweden, you you know, all of a sudden I have all my friends and family compared to where you know Australia, a bit more removed, and can decide when that happens. You know, more family things, which is beautiful. But it was just hard to fit it all in with everything. So I went away with my my journal and. 
pen for three days and did the last thing I wanted to do. Like, absolutely. I just wanted to be with the kids and I wanted not be in a cold hotel room. I wanted to be in front of my fire. And I just, yeah. Anyway, and the first 24 hours, I was just so bored and I reorganized the room, better feng shui, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I, um, you know, it was a spa, so I'd had lots of massages and meditation stuff. So eventually I got into that space and then I came up with my book and came up with another you know, a couple of really good ideas. So there is something about, you know, really taking that time. And if that's not motivation for everyone listening, I don't know what is. So you came up with your book. Yeah. I came up with my business yeah. by putting our phones yeah. away. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's pretty, that's, that's not small stuff. Yeah. Is it? That's yeah. Pretty big and I stuff. often hear like people say, well, I don't really have time to do all these things. And I always say, look at your phone and see where you're spending yeah. the time. Because if you do have you know, an hour, even if it's an hour a day, I always say like, if you have an hour a day on Facebook or whatever social platform you choose, that's like seven hours Mm. in a week. And that's like a whole extra working day. So I always say, you know, people say they don't have, because, you know, I, I, when I um, wrote the book, I said, you know, if I was you, I probably took this away, but because it was edited so many times that you would spend an hour a day on your dreams in terms of thinking about them and, you know, what actions do you need to plan or whatever. And people say, well, no one has time with that. And I'm like, well, you well, can easily find that from yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so, but it all depends, of course, how you, how you want to spend your time. But it's, um, if you want to, if you want to live a, the life of your dreams, you might have to give up the phone. But, you know, I love the balance, of course, because there's also so much amazing stuff with technology. Yeah, of absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about the great tips, how people, people can start with, and that's, you know, mainly at home. But how about at work? Because, you know, if you're distracted at home, it could really affect people to get their next dream role or next, you know, what do you do with at work? Because you might want to be, might be needed if you're on sales, for example, you might want to have the phone, but then it's easy to be, especially if you have notifications on. So I remember seeing a speaker and he said he was so distracted on the way to school checking the phone. And I can sometimes relate to that. So he put his phone in the boot. So what do you do at work if you want to, you know, be available because you might be in sales or whatever, and then, you know, make sure that you are not spending distracting time that could eventually mean that you miss out of your next dream role so i think work is really interesting and particularly if you're in any kind of client facing or sales facing role because we've all kind of bought into this idea that in order to be responsive and flexible and client facing we have to be 24 7 available via email messaging whatsapp whatever so one trick i say to everybody who gets worried that kind of not being connected to their device will mean that clients or you know sales opportunities won't come their way is to say give everyone your phone number so say to people if there's any kind of opportunity or anything you want to talk to me about or you know kind of anything I you need my input on please ring me this is my phone number but I won't be answering email and I won't be answering messages and whatsapp and what happens then is that people don't ring you unless it's really, really important or it really is that dream opportunity that they absolutely think you're the perfect person for or there's a project that they want to involve you with. Because what's happened with email, particularly in the office, and I, I could literally spend an hour talking about my thoughts on email. <laughs> we might, we, yeah, we, we, and we are very, um, it would be very interesting for us. I might have to get you back because I, we are very much an email 
culture yeah. in our business, but I also don't don't use them in terms of I don't really reply to them. So it's a <laughs> we now apparently we now spend twenty eight percent of our day processing email. That's what McKinsey say in their latest wow. piece of research. That's not actioning anything we get on the email that's just churning through the email box you know kind of replying filing and the average email is now opened within six seconds of it being sent six seconds so what I say to everyone is first of all you have to talk to everyone in the office yeah and your clients you have to say this is what I'm going to do so it doesn't come as a terrible shock and then you say I'm so invested in my career I'm so invested in your business I'm so invested in you you know as a client that I want you to ring me And I want you to know that you can always ring me and I'll always be available. But I'm not going to answer emails at the weekend. I'm not going to answer emails after 8 o'clock at night. But ring me after 8 o'clock at night if you need me. And they're always amazed because actually the people who you tell that to feel really kind of pleased actually that you're trusting them with your phone number. They don't abuse it. I mean, I've had one person that's told me, I think in four years, that they had someone who really kind of did start ringing them morning, noon, and night, and they had to deal with that. But what we do on email now is we chat. Yeah. It's not, you know, we're not email. When email was first invented, I'm going to sound like such a digital dinosaur, but, you know, back in the 90s, you know, I remember, still remember typed memos that you did in offices and that, you know, on yellow paper, very on brand, um, and you put them in people's pigeonholes. And, you know, so much time was spent on these memos I had to go around. So email was a fantastic invention. But what we do now is we chat. And all the emails that go back and forth, you know, we play email tennis yeah. instead of picking the phone up, going and talking to someone. I also have another rule that once you've done three emails to and fro, if you haven't resolved it, you pick up the phone or you speak to the person. Yeah. Because otherwise you can have this massive long kind of argument. I tell people to cut down on BCCing, passive aggressive CCing, you yeah. know, when you're kind of like, I'm just covering my back, so I'm going to cover, copy everyone in yeah. that might need to know that I've done this or I've told you this. So there's lots of things in, in my book off. There's lots of kind of suggestions in the workplace. But I think we have to have a kind of overhaul of workplace and work communication. Mm. And we have to say, how do we still be responsive? How do we still use this tech in a way that makes us really responsive? But how do we stop people sending us emails at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night? Mm. I quite often find it's bosses, actually, who are the worst. I, I did a piece of work in a big law firm, and the senior partner said, I get all my best ideas about midnight on Saturday night, and it's, that's my thinking time. So when I send an email, I don't expect anyone to reply. And I look around the table, and there are lots of quite junior people there, and they're all kind of looking at the floor. And I said, I bet they feel they have to open it and reply, though, because these are people who are worried about their jobs. They're trying to impress you. So we came up with a really good kind of hack, which that he would still write the emails yeah. at midnight on a Saturday night, but he'd put it in drafts yeah. and he'd send it at eight o'clock on a Monday morning. So yeah. he was really happy because yeah. he got to write, you know, I've just had this great idea and this is what we should do and I'd like everybody to, you know, do this. But it didn't eat into everyone's weekends because he genuinely actually didn't want people to respond yeah. to him. Yeah. He was kind of doing it just because he'd thought of it and he, I don't think he really appreciated the impact he was having on everybody else. Yeah. No, and I think that's, you know, I travel and, you know, it's the 24-7, so yeah. I, you know, I don't expect anyone to return, but it, but I understand that it makes an impact on other people. But it's sometimes when you do it, you don't actually think about it. You just, yeah, you, you do just, it automatically. Yeah. And if you're yeah. an entrepreneur, you just think you just yeah. get it done. So I, the reason I, I come from this place is because I did that. I used yeah. to bombard my team with emails yeah. <laughs> morning, noon, and night. I used to do it at the weekends. I used to say, oh, I've had another great idea about that yeah. problem and, you know. And it's only now kind of stepping back from all of that and thinking how I did that and the impact that had on everybody that's made me think, actually. And it crept up on me, you know, because email kind of 
when I adopted it, I used it during work hours and then we got smartphones and I thought, oh, great, you know, I can be somewhere else and send an email. Yeah. And then it was, we're doing it, you know, because we can work anytime, any place. We're now working everywhere yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I think the thing about productivity and work is we all have to start having the conversation about how we can redesign communication in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I did, but it wasn't agreed with everyone in our business, but was that I have this between 9 and 10.30 where I work on my projects and my most important projects where I don't do any meetings, I don't get anyone to distract me and I often work out of the office then, yeah. then anyway. But if I'm in the office, everyone kind of knows, everyone that works closely with me knows. And it works really well because there's so much distraction on all, not just technology, yeah. but, you know, meetings, etc. Yeah. But I feel like, and I'm also a morning person, so my brain works better between 9 and 10.30 versus, you know, me finishing off the day working on a project and then you always move forward on, yeah. on your thing. So that worked really well for me. Yeah, there's a, a guy called um, Cal Newport. I don't know if you've come across yep. his book, yeah. Deep Work. Yeah, Deep Work, yeah. And, you know, he says that being able to focus – and concentrate for you know concentrated periods of time is going to become a superpower in the 21st mm. century because we're all losing the ability to do that. Yeah. So carving out those blocks of time in the office, I mean, you know, if, if you think about the fact that 28% of our day is spent on email mm. and then the average email is opened within six seconds and then it do, takes us about 25 minutes to get back into our maximum zone mm. of concentration. So no one is actually really having the time to do any work, are they, or focus? So you carving out that hour and a half... It's exactly what we all need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to re, re look at that one again in our business. See, mine would be the afternoon because I'm not a morning person. So yeah, mine, mine yeah. would be about yeah. two o'clock, two yeah. till three is, is a good and time. And I think that's me. the key. It's like whatever, yeah, whatever way. Yeah, find the right time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm definitely a morning person, and I, I like to get you know often the you know the meaty stuff done first, yeah. and then I can um, you know, and I like to finish by you know three o'clock. I did a really good exercise. Um, with, it was Tim Ferriss came out with the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. Oh, I love long, that book. Yeah, long yes, time ago. Yeah. And I saw him speak, so I read his book. And um, I love working, so I, I don't want to work four hours a week. Yeah. But I was thinking, what would I need to do to only work four hours a day? I work more than that. But I was thinking, if I only have four hours a day, it really forced me to think about them. That's when my email decided not to reply to emails um, came in because I felt like if I'm going to focus on some really important things for only four hours and I you know I wonder if everyone did that in the workplace like imagine how more productive we'll be because you will cut out some emails and some social media in between and just and then you can go home I think we should think of emails like you know kind of it's the last resort. Mm -hmm. You know, when it, it's not our first choice of communication, it's our last choice. So we've yeah. tried speaking, we've tried ringing, and actually the only thing that will work for this particular, you know, solution is to send an email. And yeah. then we will all cut down on the amount of emails that we're sending and receiving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we've got to do something because we cannot, you know, if we're currently spending nearly a third of our day processing email, that's only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I really love about your recommendations for creating healthier relationship with the digital world is that you talk a lot about mindfulness, setting intentions and being aware of your actions in the digital space. How important is this to you? And do you have a regular mindfulness practice to keep yourself on track? Yeah, I, for me, mindfulness is the absolute opposite of what we're doing with the digital world. We're yeah. doing so much that is mindless. Yeah. And 
I think it's not an accident that the mindfulness movement has boomed in parallel with the digital world. Because I think we've all kind of thought we need headspace, don't we? Literally, the name of that. Um, So I think it's incredibly important because I think, you know, we know what happens to us when we don't, when we're not mindful, when we don't carve out that time. I really struggle with meditation myself. I've tried so many different times, but I do yoga. Yeah. And yoga is a mindful practice. And for me, that's my mindfulness. And I know that if I don't do yoga regularly, I can feel everything, you know, kind of falling apart. I need to have that moment where I've got an hour where I'm completely in the moment. Um, I also walk a lot. Yeah. And for me, walking is a kind of moving meditation. Yeah. I really like washing up. (laughs) So, you know, there are lots of things we can do that we do kind of mindfully. I think we all need that, that experience of being in the flow, being completely in the moment. And as I said, it's the opposite of what we do when we pick our phones up because people often say, Oh, I kind of went off to, on to check an email and an hour later I yeah. found I'd checked YouTube, I'd watched a YouTube video and then I'd looked at someone else's Instagram feed and then I thought, oh, I wonder what's happening on BBC News. So we're kind of just not even being conscious of our choices. Yeah. So any kind of mindfulness routine is going to make us stop and think. Yeah. And yeah, it's really important to me. I'd say that I spent most of my working career not being very mindful yeah. <laughs> and I'm you know the last kind of five years where I've moved in this, into this new area I, it's a really important part of my routine yeah yeah I can so relate to that you know sometimes sometimes I write myself an email just to kind of remember something if I don't have a notebook with me and then all of a sudden you do that and then and then you just I'm just gonna check Instagram yeah, and then yeah, yeah it's just um and it's, yeah, it's sometimes you just don't even want to do it. It's the internet it's black hole. You yeah. just kind of get sucked in. And when you, you lift your head and think, oh, I've just yeah. spent an hour yeah. doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. So dog Instagram accounts are my downfall. Any kind of, I get endless suggestions of new cute dog accounts and I can spend an hour just looking at dog accounts on Instagram, <laughs> which I'm sure is great for relaxation, but not yeah, not helping me be very productive. <laughs> no, I haven't got to the dog ones yet. I'm kind of glad that I'm not going to be distracted by dogs, um, but just definitely, definitely distracted on my many other things. Okay, let's talk a little bit about dreaming. To an outsider, for people who do not know you, it really seems that you'd be able to create first a career in your in the tech industry but now your passion to help people with technology and that you have found your true purpose. What advice would you give to others trying to figure out what their passions and purpose would be? Well, actually, it's really interesting when I read your book because there were so many things in the book that I realized I'd sort of done over the years. It was really fascinating. So one thing... I've always done from a very early age as I wrote down my my goals every year. Yeah. Kind of New Year's Eve. Yeah. I wrote, and they weren't they were never New Year's resolutions. They were never about, you know, I'm gonna lose twenty pounds or I'm gonna run a marathon. They were always this is what I'm going to achieve. Yeah. And I always had a kind of vision, I suppose, of the future about what it was going to look like. So yeah. I've, I suppose I've always done a lot of visualization. So you call it dreaming and I realized I called it visualizing and goals, yeah. but it was actually the same yeah. thing. And then I think, yeah, I kind of, again, you know, in your book, I kind of quite early on spent a lot of time thinking about what my strengths were. Yeah. So I used to do a lot of those online, you know, kind of psychology tests. I did quite a lot of profiling. When I first wanted to be an entrepreneur, I remember going to this place 
in Harley Street in London. I did a whole load of tests because I said, I just want to know, because I have got quite a logical kind of geeky brain, you know, am I the right person to be an entrepreneur? And I remember when they, they did all the psychometric tests, he said, not only have you got the right personality type to be an entrepreneur? I don't know how you've ever managed to hold down a job working for someone else. Because <laughs> I came up off the scale on kind of rebellion and yeah. you know, kind of not wanting anyone to tell me what to do. I think knowing what your strengths are, knowing yeah. what your strengths and weaknesses are. And yeah, it's really difficult to know how I worked out what I became passionate about. I think it was just by doing it, I realized the things I enjoyed the most. So I realized really early on in my digital business that my favorite bit of the business was actually the people. Yeah. It wasn't the technology. It yeah. was kind of how I could inspire and motivate people to use the, the tech. And yeah. although I did use, do a lot of the coding and the design and everything myself in the early days, and I still do all bits of that, I realized it was the relationship with the people that was really interesting. Yeah. And then when I started getting into doing talks, I thought, actually, I really I, I want to inspire people to do things differently. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of that was... You know, you kind of don't come out of school knowing all that stuff, do no. you? You don't know what you're good at. But I think I, I think over the years, I kind of, every year I wrote down my goals because I found that piece of research you mentioned in your book that said that people are 42% more likely to achieve them mm. if they just write them down. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll write them down every year. <laughs> and actually, when I look back on them, it's really quite um, spooky because I've achieved mm. most of them without, yeah. sometimes I'll find myself thinking, oh, that was, that was something I wrote down for this year and I'll go back and think, yeah, yeah and I've just done it. Yeah. So the brain works in a really weird way. When mm. you start setting those intentions, yeah. um, you create the opportunity, don't you, for, yeah. for it to well, it's start in, happening. Yeah, it's in front of mind too. Yeah. yeah. So when the opportunity is it's walking past, yes. it's easy to grab it. You grab you know it. it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel like you are living your dream life now? Yeah, I mean, I still there's still things I want to do, yeah. but yes, four years ago when I wrote my kind of goals, or dreams, when I was deciding that I didn't want to run the digital business, I thought I want to be the person that definitely in the UK, if not globally, that talks about digital well-being and wellness. I want to be kind of recognised as that person. Yeah, and yeah, I'd say that's pretty much happened. You know, yeah. the press come to me, I get you know kind of people talking about this. And even when I wrote it down, I felt a bit, I had this kind of really British thing of saying, oh gosh, you know, I can't really, <laughs> does that seem a bit arrogant? But I thought, no, that's what I want. I yeah. want to be kind of recognized for that. I wanted to travel. So one of my goals was, I really loved what I've been reading about you because we both really love travel. And yeah. I thought, wouldn't it be great if people in this new role invited me to go somewhere really amazing in the world to go and speak to them? And just before Christmas, um, the island of Curacao in the Caribbean contacted me. Nice. And said, would you like to come and talk to us about digital well-being? And I thought, the Caribbean in November, that sounds wonderful. So I thought, that's, I'd take that off my list. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot that I thought I kind of visualized doing that I, yeah, I am now doing. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing to write things down. And also, I get so many people saying, well, like, you know, like the Caribbean one, like that would be very foreign to you before you know maybe a few years ago but you know it's just nothing is impossible yeah. and that's what I love about dreaming because dreaming gets you out of that mind of I can't do it like, like if I couldn't fail what would I do 
And, you know, it's, it was interesting, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, but as a child, I always wanted to travel. That was like, because I didn't travel. And my kids said travel all the time. And so I used to be horse riding and, you know, being on the farm. And now my little girl, Tiffany, she was horse riding and all she wants, she travels the world all the time. And all she wants is a horse. <laughs> you always want what you yes, don't have. But yeah. that's kind of part of dreaming, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing I did was a few years ago, I decided I'd say yes to everything. Because mm. I thought, because I'd run my digital business for 22 years yeah. and I definitely got into a bit of a rut yeah. with it. So when I first started, obviously it was really new and I was one of the first people doing it. But I kind of settled into a bit of a routine and I thought, actually, I'm not going to get any new opportunities if I keep carrying on, you know, yeah, doing the same it the same way. way. Yeah. So I thought, I'm just, and I think I watched that film, Yes Man, or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to say yes to everything, no matter how kind of difficult or, oh, I don't know if I can do that. So actually, my book is a perfect example of that. So yeah. the publisher approached me and said, Would you like to write a book? And my first thought was, I can't write a book. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, you know, I've run, I run a tech company. And then I thought, Well, I did do a degree in English. So, you know, I probably can. Oh. You know, and I was blogging at that stage. So I said, yes, I'll write a book. And and now I've written two and I'm, you know, kind of writing my third. So, yeah, it was a great, a great lesson, actually, that if you say yes to one thing, other things open up. Follow. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I have the theme for the years, less is more, because it's so easy to say yes to so yeah, many things. Yes. But everything has its You've got place, to get yeah. the balance. Yeah. You? And yeah. Then, um, but I do believe that um, if you – I have a thing where I never want to live the same year twice in terms of there's certain things that I want to, you know, routines and stuff that I want to keep, but I don't want to otherwise become like, you yeah. know, in a rut and yeah. I just want to be open for possibilities. So one of the things in my book is who, like in terms of who can help you and uh, rather than thinking about what I need to do, it's like, this is what I want to do. Who can help me? Have you had any um, people that has been either really helpful to you or inspiring? Yeah, so I've had two. So the first is Steve Jobs. Yeah. So I met him in oh, the 90s. No. He came to London and I blagged a place at a very exclusive quite a small gathering at the Dorchester Hotel that I wasn't really supposed to be at but somebody had a ticket and they gave it to me because they knew I was a fan and I was the only woman there because they were all IT directors yeah and I went out and talked to him at the end and so this was 93 and I was thinking of setting a business up on the world wide web and I said to him I'm thinking of setting a business up on the world you know what do you think and I can't remember exactly what he said because I was just fawning over him so much because I'm such a huge but he was very encouraging yeah so and he was in that period where I don't know if all listeners will remember but he was kind of fired from Apple yeah and he had this kind of period in the kind of wilderness where he was trying to launch his new computer called Next and I actually went to see him talk about Next and then of course he went back to Apple they asked him back and he just you know did wonderful things with them and you know launched the iPhone and Pixar and so I was really inspired by the fact he set a business up it all went horribly wrong he kind of went away came back and was even more successful Mm. and actually he inspired me on the second part of my career because when he had children he was interviewed and said he wasn't letting them use technology Mm. at home I was going to say that before you yeah so very famously he he said he was a low-tech parent so I kind of thought, well, Steve, you know, you've kind of inspired me in the first part of my career, maybe, actually, because I'd started to think similar things. So I think, you know, he was really responsible for both bits of that. And the other person who actually isn't someone I've met that I really, and I know you've met, 
I really desperately want to meet is Ariana Huffington. Yes. Because I kind of feel that my path and hers have got quite a lot of similarities in that she started in tech, she launched Huffington Post, and then she had a kind of, you know, not exactly a crisis, but a point where she thought, actually, I want to be doing things different. And she's launched Thrive, which is amazing. And her book is wonderful. So I really, I've always been really inspired by her. And obviously, she's a woman. (laughs) So yeah, both of them in different ways, I've kind of looked at and they've made me see, you know, what's, what's possible. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Two amazing people, both inspiring to me as well. Yeah. So to to um, Ariana, I'm sure I can do an introduction. I don't know if she's coming to London soon, but she's someone I would just love to meet. Yeah, yeah. she's amazing. She's she's on my podcast. As I know. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing, and she's such a good connector and yeah, yeah, really beautiful person. I would love to finish up by asking you a few questions that I know our listeners would love to hear your answer. If you could give one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life. What would you say? I would say don't hold back and don't be realistic. Mm. So one of the things I loved about your book was the SMART goals. Mm. And I used to use SMART goals a lot in my business. But when I used them in business, the R was for realistic. And I noticed in your book it's for relevant. Mm. And I thought that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because when you're talking about a business goal and the way I was kind of trained with them is it's got to be realistic, it's got to be achievable. Mm. But actually what you're saying with dreaming is be as big as you want. You know, think really, really huge. I wanted to be Britain's first female prime minister. I can't say that without laughing because it seems so ridiculous. But actually, if you took me back now to when I was 18 and said what I, and told me what I was doing now, I'd be thinking, Why not? wow, you know, that's kind of, I, I never thought I'd do yeah. it. I was recently invited back to my old college at Oxford to talk about my career and it was one of those kind of pinch me moments because mm. I thought when I walked out that gate at 21 if you'd said to me you'll be invited back I would have thought wow I must you know have really made it and I'm not by any means a kind of you know global brand but in a in a little way in the area that I have I've you know I've developed a reputation so I would say don't be realistic. Don't let anyone tell you you've got to be realistic. Yeah. Think really really big because the t- when you're a child that's not the time to think, oh, I couldn't maybe do that. Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Just and go it, for it. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, when you look at people, you know, like Ariane Huffington or, you know, Steve or whatever, whatever, whoever it is, they're humans and yeah. they started somewhere. You look yeah. at Oprah, she's the same. Like she's, you know, and she had some really, you know, challenging times and she made it. So I always feel like there's not, you know, impossible is just someone's opinion yeah. and, and, why, and don't let it be yours why can't it be you that does yeah. it that's my other thing yeah that I think you know if someone's going to achieve whatever your you know yeah. goal is why what's the reason why it can't be yeah. you yeah you know all those people that have been really successful as you said a lot of them have come from really difficult backgrounds mm. a lot of them you know haven't had amazing you know support financial support mm. I always think when, when I talk about entrepreneurship that the difference between entrepreneurs who are successful and ones who don't the main difference is the ones who are successful never gave up yeah that's literally it <laughs> it's not actually about being more talented they just absolutely refuse to give up yeah and I definitely had that with my digital business I, you know when I first set it up everyone told me that the internet would never take off. This is 1995. I was literally told it will never take off. And I just was so stubborn. I thought, no, it will. You know, I'll just keep going and everyone else will catch on. And I feel like this now about what I'm doing. When I started this four years ago, everyone said, you're really out of step. 
no one has a problem with tech use. Yeah. You've just, you know, you've kind of lost the plot a bit. And I thought, no, I people are going to start realising this. Yeah. So I think don't be realistic. Don't give up. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I am such an avid reader, so I'm always interested to know what is your favourite book and why. And you don't have to be your perfect favourite book because then sometimes it's it's difficult it's like naming your favorite child it's well i was gonna say i've got a house full of books and i always say that when i walk into someone's home and they don't have books i'm really suspicious yeah we are floor to ceiling books yeah, in same. my house so i mean you know i would say novels i particularly love are things like uh, rebecca and pride and prejudice but i was thinking the other day because a friend of mine had recently had a baby and i was thinking about what to buy that actually the dr zeus books yeah had a huge impact on me yeah. as a child and a lot of it, if you read them again now, they're about self-belief. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the places you can go. Yeah. You know, you've got a brain in your head and shoes on your yeah, feet, you yeah. know, kind of. And those were read to me. And then I read them myself, you know, when I was really young and impressionable. And they were all about you can do anything. And yeah. I think I did grow up thinking that, actually. I did. I do think I grew up thinking I can do all those things. And I think those books, there's actually a lot in them. They seem very yeah. superficial, but actually they're really, yeah, they're very Yeah, deep. I'm reading them a lot to Tiffany at the moment and it's, it's, it's they're just perfect. I love it. They yeah. are really yeah. inspiring, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Good. Thank you. I would love to know if you have a favorite Kiki K product and, and if it's not a Kiki K product, it could be a stationary product. There is actually one, which is the gratitude journal yeah. because I'm really bad at gratitude. Yeah. So I don't know if you've had this issue, but I, I've always driven myself a lot yeah. and I've been always, my tendency is to tell myself all the stuff I haven't achieved mm. <laughs> and all the things I haven't done. And it's been a real effort to me over the last few years to develop a gratitude practice, mm. but it's been really transforming mm. doing it and having a journal and it's something actually I've made my children do yeah. as well. I think it's hugely valuable. I wish it was something I'd done a lot, a lot earlier. Yeah. Because I think I, I did spend a lot of time thinking about all the things I hadn't achieved yeah. instead of being able to really enjoy and appreciate what I had. Yeah. Um, and it's a typical entrepreneurial trait, I think, um, similar. But if you can combine them yeah. in terms of what you're doing Look now. Look at what you can achieve. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing because I, I feel like... There is, you know, and I'm always, I'm, I'm always like, you know, striving for the next thing and I'm always looking at the future, but there is always something to be grateful for Yeah. every single day. And, you know, I got spilled coffee into my shoe on an airplane the other day, but, and, you know, I could have been annoyed because that was the only shoes that I had with me, but I decided to first, my grateful went to, I'm really glad it's not hot because it could have been. <laughs> I was imagining it was hot. No. It wasn't hot. Yeah. It was a latte and yeah. it was like... Yeah, it was it was good for that way. <laughs> and then um, and then secondly, I told him I am very grateful to have feet. And, yeah, uh, to be able to even yeah, feel that. Yeah. yeah. So even though that was a positive experience, but it was you can turn around. And you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect in gratitude, but it's really um, it's very powerful and very good to have that, especially end of the day, because we achieve so much and this and we always look at we and the list is never ending. Yeah. But ending every day with a bit of a gratitude is really amazing. And we do that around the table, actually, at the dinner table. So that the kids, have, since they were able to talk, always come up with a gratitude each night. I mean, not every night because there's things happening, but most nights. And it's really lovely that you think about stuff that you 
You've kind of forgotten about it. It makes you more mindful, doesn't it, as well? Because I find I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to put in my journal tonight? So I'm consciously clocking little moments throughout the day that you might have missed otherwise. Yeah. The other day I was, when I was flying somewhere, I was so grateful to the Wright brothers who were interested in learning about this. But before we end up, there is one last question. If you could go back to your younger self, say when you're in late in your late teens, what advice would you have given yourself knowing what you know now? Oh, I think I would say you don't have to do everything all on your own. Mm. Because I think the I think I thought that you know it, everything was all down to me all the time. And I think I was quite slow in both the businesses I set up to kind of build a team around me. And yeah. I think I probably could have achieved more if I'd done that and looked at other people's kind of skills and what they could bring. So, yeah, yeah I think that would say, I, I would say go for it, but yeah, get, get other people, get other skills. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. I thought I had to be able to do everything in my business myself Yeah, and that I couldn't ask anyone to do something that I couldn't do myself yeah and when a business gets to a certain size you know as yours has you know that you can't actually do no. everything yeah so yeah I think that's what I would say good well beautiful way of ending this inspiring very needed conversation I think we'll have you back again and because it's endless of of topics we can talk about so much. Um, <laughs> and I think very helpful for people and I hope um, that our listeners you know, implement some of those things and super grateful for all the research and all the tips you have given us. So thank you so much. And I look forward to um, use my phone even less now. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Ah, what a great conversation that was. I love Tanya's thoughts and ideas on creating more of a digital balance in our lives especially now as technology seems to be more and more at the heart of everything that we do. By reducing screen time in my own life, I've been able to focus on so much more, sleep better and be more creative. And in fact, without reducing my screen time, I would never have completed my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here, or begun this podcast. I truly hope you found some inspiration in this episode, especially at a time in our world where there is so much uncertainty. At the time of launching this episode, the world is going through a huge global health crisis, which has led to many people working from home and staying home. Which is why now, more than ever, we need to ensure we are doing everything we can to look after ourselves and our well-being, as well as the well-being of our loved ones. It's a perfect time for self-care, and it's also a perfect time for dreaming. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe for plenty more inspiration and don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I would love your support with my big crazy dream to inspire 101 million people. So please help us by sharing our podcast with the hashtag 101 million dreamers. If you want to see more about what's happening in my world, you can follow me on Instagram at Christina Kikike. Until next time, look after yourself and each other and don't forget to dream big and chase those dreams.